enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. I'm Josh LeCount with Temple of Geek, and I'm here with orchestrators Jonathan Beard, Edward Tribeck, and Henry Wilkinson, collectively known as Tutti Music Partners. How are you guys doing? Fabulous. Great. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to talk to you. For those who aren't familiar, uh, TMP has worked on so many different projects, everything from The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, which we're going to talk about today, to The Mandalorian, to The Handmaid's Tale, um, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. The list goes on and on and on. You name it, um, they have worked on so many things. But I want to start at the beginning, and I want to find out how did TMP collectively, how did you three begin working together? How did it come to be? Uh, Well... We all met um, working for Bear McCreary actually back in 2009. His career was uh, blowing up in a good way. And uh, he realized he needed to expand his music preparation side. And so he hired all of us. And I don't believe any of us knew each other before that, as I recall. Um, But we hit it off both on a professional and uh, personal level. Um, Aside from working on everything that Bear was doing, we were going out at least once, if not two or three times a week to have uh, drinks and, you know, I mean, uh, business, business meetings. meetings. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we, uh, it kind of organically grew that as we had other projects, whether it be for other clients or our own things that we were constantly pulling each other in on them. And it just led to the point where we just sat down and said, why don't we just partner up on everything and all work together from the start on a thing rather than trying, I'm going to try to do as much as I can myself and then pull extra help in at the last minute. And then you're realizing, Oh God, two weeks ago, I talked to this composer about phrasing this thing this way. And, you know, it was that way, everything was going to be very cohesive and, you know, giving the client, the composer, the best, uh, you know, music preparation orchestration that they could get. Um, Selfishly, it, it was also good for, us to be able to, you know, I don't know, have a wife would go into labor and you're like, I can't work for a month because I have a newborn <laughs> in the house or if like, hey, uh, Jonathan wants to go to Hawaii <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Um, well, or maybe I love that you guys like going to Hawaii. Every two weeks, I'd like to go to Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> <a couple weeks. laughs> I, it is interesting, though, that with the, our sort of going into this model of being on every project together as a team from the first day of the project instead of at the very end pulling each other in. Um, our decision to make that change seemed to coincide nicely with shifts that we have been seeing in the business that are challenging, which is that deadlines are just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And that's for the composers uh, as well as everyone on down. Uh, on the music side, it's for editors and other areas of, of the film and television making process too. But the result is that we can also be keeping up with the tightest deadlines that our clients may have, uh, still at a very high level of unification and consistency throughout the scores for the project. Right. And would you mind, since we're diving a little bit deeper into this, could you clarify the difference uh, for those listening uh, between orchestrating and composing what what is different about the two sure um i'll start a tiny bit guys and then jump on in i the the composing is the is the meat and potatoes of the sort of scoring 
process, right? The composer is going to be the creative mind behind what's happening for that score and is going to be sort of uh, directing uh, the, the sort of emotional and musical flow throughout the process and the project. Um, and then with particularly in television, and we'll talk probably later about how this show is an exception to the rule, uh, in television, oftentimes composers have to expand their teams to include some other composers who might be uh, composing some additional music. And uh, Bear did not do that on this show, which was a remarkable lift on his part. Uh, but then this other job that we that that contributes to getting a score across the finish line that isn't composing in and of itself is this job that we're in of orchestration. We're kind of like the musical closers a little bit uh, to use a baseball metaphor. Um, but if one of you guys wants to try. Yeah, no, I, th I think another analogy part. that we've often used on this is um, a composer is uh, to an engineer. Oh, sorry, composer is to an architect what an orchestrator is to an engineer. So, you know, you kind of have that same analogy um, of construction and baseball now. So, uh. yeah. well, <laughs> what else I mean, do we have? Well, I was going to say, you can have an architect who's like, they're really detailed, right? And so their engineer who's going to be working on the final blueprint is basically just tracing onto a different kind of paper and maybe like, hey, I need to move this, you know, conduit over an inch from what you did. Or you might have somebody who's like, I see a 300 foot tall green egg, go. Um, and so right. there's a wide spectrum of what orchestration is. I mean, ultimately, our job is deliver a score that can a conductor can use and somebody can extract parts. And what it takes to get to that point is where the very wide spectrum of what an orchestrator is comes from. And, and probably and that spectrum would cover from one side, like transcription, if you've got a really, really detailed composer, to more of a ranging if you've got a, a more sort of big picture composer. Uh, so it, it can be basically anywhere in there. Awesome. And since we're talking about Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> it's like watching a long movie, but divided into parts. And it gives you so much more time to delve into the characters and the story. And one of my questions is, what was it like working with Bear without having seen the footage? because you didn't have the footage to orchestrate side by side. Well, uh, I, you know, uh, firstly, you know, Bear is the composer. And I mean, it, as Jonathan said earlier, it's amazing lift. Bear did, wrote every note. There was no additional music writers. There was no one helping him on it in, on the composing side. And Bear is very clear, you know, he's obviously working with picture and very clear about what he wants, where, what it's doing. And, you know, making the decision of I'm hinting to this theme or I'm modifying music and this, whatever foreshadowing, you know, he knows way more than we do. Um, and so it, I, I, it's a challenge in the sense of like, we get to our recording session and we don't have video, you know, none of our scores can even have the cue titles listed on it. You know, none of the charts that we're using have cue titles listed. It's, it's all very opaque and under a heavy veil of secrecy. Um, but you know, we have the good fortune of, we've worked with Bear for over 12 years, 13 years. And so that really, it puts us in a position where we have a great shorthand with Bear on a musical side of things. And, you know, we have the very ease, ease of access with Bear where we're like, hey, the, you know, we're, we have a question here. Can, do you want to, you know, X, Y, or Z? And he's like, well, I want M. And there's also a level of trust uh, that I think, you know, doing these multiple projects over more than a decade with him has brought where 
you know, he can trust us to, you know, to take it almost all the way. And then we kind of, bring, you know, we, he trusts us to bring it to the final, you know, uh, line from that point on. So, so it works really well. And, you know, we had some talks with Bear before, some orchestration on this, uh, on, on rings of power in terms of, um, you know, the, concepts that he's been he'd been visualizing instrumentation wise and approach wise and orchestration wise and so that we could kind of all be on the same page once we started you know uh, kind of the uh, grunt work of the orchestration and uh you know had an idea of uh, what instrumentations he had in mind and what kind of approaches and colors and so forth and then um you know uh, it's a wonderful experience of course awesome how did the pandemic affect the way you guys work with Bear and work together, and how did that affect creating this show, orchestrating this show? One of the biggest differences between this and certainly any TV, any regular TV show you'd see is that we had four days of orchestral recording alone per episode, which is about three and a half days more than an average episode of television. And some of that was dictated because of the pandemic. So we could, at, at the start of the season, and of course stuff changed throughout the, the window in which we were producing these sessions, but uh, at the start of, of the project, you weren't allowed to put that many people in a room together, basically anywhere in the world to record music. Um, and we were recording in London, and so what we had to do was split the orchestra up into two sections, doing strings alone. It was a very large string section and then brass and woodwinds together, which was also a very large section, but we couldn't put all of that in the room at the same time. So that made every one of those four days super crucial because we were essentially having to record everything twice with half the orchestra. Uh, so that was a both great gift to have that amount of time to use. And then it was also a challenge. We had to use every single second of it to get a, a show of this magnitude done. And I, I, I'm reading here too, which I find this fascinating. Like when you, when you score this compared to modern, more modern setting TV shows, the score allows for more of like, I don't know the correct terms, so forgive me if I'm using the wrong term, but more of a, a fantasy, older style, orchestral, you know, big, you know, all kinds yeah. of things that maybe you don't mm -hmm. use in a modern TV show as much. And, you know, you know, that gave you a palette, a stronger palette. That maybe might be a better word. My yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah, this, no, this, for sure. They're leaned on the using an orchestra in, in let's say an older school way in a more traditional mm -hmm. way of just like oh you have you're just unabashedly using woodwinds and here's these textures coming in and out mm -hmm. and using all of these different colors and juxtapositions against each other whereas you know modern scoring tends to be you know there's much more electronics there's much more driving percussion a particular electronic percussion and it I don't know that that sound would have lent itself to this show. Right. Uh, I mean, unless it's going in a very different direction than I anticipated right. going. And it, and it allows for a more nuanced approach. And, and the fact that, you know, I mean, you know, one of the things that is so exciting for us and is exciting for us is that, you know, it's, it's, it's such a large palette 
at our disposal. It's a large palette of bears disposal. So everything is, you know, compared to an average TV show, average even film. Um, it's just, you know, having the full orchestra, having the world instruments, having the percussion, having the, you know, choir, full choir on every single episode, which is a mini movie in itself, on a, you know, not even a mini movie. Uh, it's just, you know, fantastic. And so then you can really explore these different colors and you can go as small as you want you can go as intricate as you want you can do these woodwind colors or you can go bombastic and have your know, four horn sections and you know brass and you know blaring and you know like the Numenorean um theme and all, all that stuff so it's it's just wonderful to have that at, at our disposal I guess and, and yeah I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you oh ahead. I was just gonna say we we were the, the three of us were actually talking uh, a little earlier before uh, together about sort of the scope of how how sort of intimate to, to grand that Bear could go with with the music. And if you think of like Galadriel's theme in the second episode when she's underwater and it's just a single vocalist uh, and some strings, you know, just some very gentle accompaniment, but it's primarily a single vocalist. And then you compare that to like the Numenor theme at the end of is it episode four yeah. where, where they sail off? Yeah, and, and the amazing power, uh, just sort of force, the, the power of forces involved in, in a sort of grand musical moment of that magnitude. It's an incredible scope. I mean, and, and with Galadriel's theme, the different layers and the voices and just everything that uh, is in that theme. Could you tell me a little bit more about Galadriel's theme and how that was made? I, I just, I, I find that fascinating. Uh, well, I mean, that, huh. so Bear, Bear's talked a little bit about this. I mean, obviously he has written a lot of themes for this because there's so many characters and so many ideas and let's say groups of people or that yeah, he's, he's needed a lot of musical material that'd be very easy to identify. Um, and so aside from, and it, he wrote it on a very sophisticated level where it's not just, oh, here's a theme that's recognizable. It's like, it's a multi-part theme. You know that it has an arc and can change and you know ways to twist it but also still say oh well this interval when you hear this you're like oh that seventh really like i know it's going to be gladrio theme i know it's going to be this one um and so yeah, sometimes he, he will also decide to have certain orchestral colors associated but naturally that that you're going to change the color based upon what emotion you want oh this is a lonelier moment this is a more isolated moment so right. the way it needs to be presented will change um so, Ed, yeah, just to jump in for a second on, on one part of what you were saying, because uh, Bear has talked about this uh, as well. It's really cool that he, of all the main themes in the entire season, um, every one of them starts with a different interval. So literally for the, from the first two notes you hear of any theme, no matter what instrumentation we may be using in that iteration of the theme, you can recognize uh, the theme from just those first two notes because the first two notes are not the same from one theme to any other theme in the show. And that is super cool. And so like Galadriel's theme starts with this minor seventh that goes up, da da. And just from that moment, you know what it's signifying. Right. And I, this this may be a silly question, but I'm just so curious out of, cause you guys work on so many, so many types of projects. Does it still, does the excitement of knowing, oh, I'm working on Lord of the Rings. I am, <laughs> does it still hit you the same way when you go back and watch it and you're still in the world and knowing that oh, you- Oh, I mean, absolutely. Yes. I mean, I, th I think all, yes, the short answer is yes. yes. All, all of us are fans, you know, all of us have read the books, you know, it's, uh, I mean, to be able to work on something that, you know, we're essentially just fanboys of is, is, is you know, <laughs> fantastic. I mean, 
but have a lot of respect for it at the same time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, look, when, when we, uh, Bear actually, it, it's sort of unique. Bear basically was like, hey guys, I need to get on a call with just the three of you. No one else, no assistance, no scoring assistance, no, nobody, no, just, just the three of us to talk. And, you know, you need to sign these NDAs. Okay. <laughs> and, and the problem, you know, it's, a, it's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, I hope this is really good news and not really bad news that he's wanting to talk to us. <laughs> and, um, you know, he filled us in on what was coming and it was just all of us like, <gasps> Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Cause it was the thing, you know, we'd already heard about the show and we're just like, well, I'm kind of cool. that's cool. I, was like, I can't wait to see it. You know, I was like, I, we all went to midnight screenings of the original, you know, when the original oh, movies yeah. are coming out, oh, yeah. we certainly read the book several times growing up and, you know, to be like, Oh, we get to be involved with this. Like, it, yeah. I, I, as you pointed out, I was like, we've had the very good fortune to work on a number of different, you know, major properties that were really exciting and that excitement has not gone away yet. I mean, maybe in 10 years, but I, I doubt it. There's something that's just so fun to be able to, like, we get to work in, in this world. Like, we we get to contribute our little piece to this. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. I mean, I, I I think the music is one of the most important things in, in, in movies and TV. And I love that you're fans as well. well and, and as you're alluding to, it's like the power of music, the importance of music in the telling of these stories uh, is, you know, some people don't always notice it right away, but it's this in- incredibly sort of emotionally honest tool that can be used to convey feeling uh, and sort of help guide a viewer uh, in, in an emotional way through what they're watching. And the beauty of this particular show also is just that Amazon is clearly like super pro score in their mm-hmm. show. So the fact that it's as as present in the mix, you know, you can really hear the the music clearly. It's not buried behind sound effects and and things all the time. Um, that's a really nice. That feels good to us as orchestrators as well. Is that the work that Bear has done and and the the work that we've done it is actually out there to be heard, and that's right. that's special. And- I think. I- I'm not sorry, just in the show, but also separately. The fact that, that you know, they released, right. here's an album that's like, oh, two and a half, three, almost three hours long of here's music from the show. And then to say, oh, and that's just a teaser because now here's the music from every episode mm-hmm. as it goes. It's, it's, and it's what, like 55 minutes or more, right? On each. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's about an every hour. episode yeah. was between the, you know, <laughs> arrangements of like sort of concert suites and the music for the show is easily 60 minutes per episode. Yeah, yeah we, we yeah. joked, uh, whatever the length of the episode is, is the episode 64 minutes long? Okay, there's going to be 63 and a half minutes of music. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> episode by episode. That's amazing. And what about the elf language? How did that come into play uh, when orchestrating and working with Bear? Well, um, so Bear was very clear about what he wanted. Um, and he's talked a bit about this too, where he said, you know, I want this language, I want that. And they have language experts who are involved. And, you know, Bear was very particular about the language. Um, and there were times that there was back and forth um, with Brian, who works for, with Bear and obviously with Bear and then these language experts to figure out like, hey, okay, you, you sent us this phrase, but the music is doing this. Do we ch-? It was very operatic in the sense of like, do you modify the lyrics? You know, do you modify the libretto, so to speak, or do you modify the music to match and back and forth? And Bear was very, I remember there were some moments where, you know, it was like laid in and Bear's looking at it and says, oh, no, 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 we need to go back, go back, change this to something different. But what language was used was always very specifically dictated by Bear. And, and again, he, he had such a huge amount of input on what the words were because he wants it to 
have a very specific effect if somebody happens to be super fan enough to know what it's saying yeah. right to make sure that they know like oh it, this is either commenting on their action or it's foreshadowing something to come or it's commenting on the emotion or whatever you know that's um it was yeah yeah it, I, the I trickiest think, part was with the choir getting them to sing it right because right. obviously yeah. not everybody speaks these languages and i i think bear mentioned this in some interviews also that you know even they were going back and forth with a part of the producing team at Amazon even to to confirm that the lyrics that Bear is using are going to communicate the right thing, even if 99% of your viewing audience is not going to ever know what these words are. For that 1%, it's going to be incredibly special. Yeah. And so uh, even the producers of the show were involved at that level. And so there was just there was a lot of care and commitment kind of coming uh, at, at all stages of it. The funny thing with like the choir though is, you know, that not mo most vocalists probably don't know these languages at all. Maybe one or two in the choir do because they're super fans and they did an amazing job if, if they knew of, of keeping quiet what it was that they were singing. Wow. And having to figure out a way to convey to the choir, like, how we pronounce these words. And so um, this is where Bear's language experts uh, actually came in. We actually had an audio recording of every phrase that the choir was gonna have to sing in a given episode that was piped in to be able to play to the choir so that they could hear a pronunciation guide. And that was coming directly from the la language expert. So, you know, the pronunciation was, you know, correct based on Tolkien's works and um, all that stuff. So. Yeah, I, I have too much of an American accent when I speak Sarah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> we wanted Ed to record all of yeah, the Dorvish. Yeah, Dorvish is corrupted. <laughs> no, yeah. There were, there were definitely moments at the choir sessions uh, when we were producing them that, you know, the conductor or one of the singers would be asking, like, oh, so I, what is this language? Or, 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 just... You know, what, what are we singing? You don't get to know. Sorry. You don't get it's to an know. Old language. No. <laughs> How did that feel, yeah, so though? It's an like, old language. How, what you just said made me think of how did that feel when you're knowing you because you, did you get to know where the you didn't get to know where the episodes were going right you were just you heard you had music but you didn't only bear knew what was actually happening right we did not have video so we weren't seeing it we, okay. we certainly could be discussing with bear where the the plot was moving in case that affected something we needed to do i uh, okay. i mean sticking on lyrics for a second there was one point were like the way or, or sticking on choir. There was one point where I, I forget which episode, but like we adapted something in vocally in our orchestrations that Bear like wrote back. He's like, nope, guys, that's going in the wrong direction for that spot oh. because this is what's gonna happen and we need it to go, you know, big or whatever and we've gone small. Uh, so those kinds of conversations could certainly happen at any time. It was just the you know, definitely no visuals were going beyond the physical walls of Bear's studio. Well, no visuals and no words that most people would understand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and when it comes to like Sauron's theme, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because that's like the opposite, complete opposite of the what you were talking about with uh, Gladriel, with the miners and things like that to make an evil theme. You know, is there anything special about that? That I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of these, you know, the, the, the themes with the black speech and you know that that kind of stuff i you know it, it's it's funny because a lot of this stuff um that that seems evil and you know again 
for me at least, um, a lot of the stuff comes from vocals and, and choir. And I remember, you know, when we were producing some of these, these choir sessions, having these, having some of these choir layers that are, you, you might not even notice them, but we were recording, you know, raspy voices and whispers that were mixed in, you know, with these, uh, with all the black speech stuff, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it, it, it's just amazing how much that adds of a layer of, oh my God, there's something, you know, bad right. going on or something. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Well, and musically, I mean, it's um, talking about Sauron's theme versus let's say Galadriel's theme. We actually created a separate little guide for ourselves to help keep track because there's so much going on, you know, and just and as we're so going to try to make sure things are consistent and cohesive that, you know, like, oh, behind Sauron's theme, there tends to be this string accompaniment combined with these other sounds. And, you know, how do we notate what they're doing? It's this kind of weird thing. And we want to make sure it's notated the same way so that when it gets, sounds cohesive, but also so that then the players, you know, that when we see them again a couple of weeks later to record the next episode, that they're, they're like, oh, right, okay, this thing again, they, they know what they're seeing mm -hmm. again. Um, but... So we'd have sort of our little guide on the side that we're like, okay, this is the way this is done to be cohesive and keep track of everything. But at the same time, there'd be times where then suddenly Bear would write it and it was like, well, it's totally different now. And it's like, Bear, do, you, do we need to add it? This, this thing you do? And he's like, no, 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 this is a different, like I'm, I'm twisting it for this reason. So no. Intentionally, um, right. It's like, but yeah. then when it comes this back later, the cue, then it goes back to the way. So, you know, yes. it, it was that sort of, we had this access with Bear to make sure that all of these things are presented the way he wanted and intended and to make sure that whatever foreshadowing he's intending, whatever development is happening there is all, you know, part of his intention because he definitely had a lot of thought and time to and put in a lot of thought and time into making sure everything was going to be just right. Yeah, and he's mapped things out that we may not, uh, fully know now in season one why something musically is being treated one certain way and that will uh, reveal itself over a much longer period of time so he's thinking about all of that stuff down the road as well uh and and working working with bear how long have you worked with bear altogether uh, I, I, since 2009 so it's, yeah, yeah 13 13 plus years, years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. so so is there anything that stands out about the way that he composes i mean uh you know that kind of helps your process um, compared to maybe I mean he's he's incredibly detailed and he knows his orchestra so well so those definitely help our process uh, the beauty of how long we've worked together and sort of how smoothly our our working relationship flows is that he can trust us to to sort of know what he's going for if sometimes you know there there are little um, elements that just for time constraints, let's say, he doesn't have time to fully finish mapping out himself, but in one discussion with us, he can say, so I've started this way, you know what I'm going for, can you just fill in a couple of these voicings or something like that? And it's like, done, easy. Right. Um, so that that uh, familiarity- It's definitely a yeah familiarity and, and a level of trust that, you know, over these years and multiple projects that we worked with him has kind of, uh, Come, that definitely helps and uh, is, I think, unique to our relationship with uh, Bear, for sure. Yeah. So I, I have another question. It's, it's a, a bit random, but I'm just so curious. When everything is finished recording, when you're done with the sessions and everything is in place, do you guys handle the mastering or is that something that, you know, where it's, when it's ready to go, is that passed off to someone else? Yeah, Together, generally, at, once the sessions are done, uh, our job 
tends to be done. Um, you know, it's like that's sort of the end of our thing. And then that's when the mixing engineer, it's now his turn to sit there and mix it, create here, here's all these elements pulled together, you know, in the way that he assumes Bear wants. Bear listens. And I, my understanding is there's usually go back and forth multiple times where Bear's like, okay, tweak this, tweak that, change this, gotcha. do that. And then, um, I mean, if that's we want to be really technical it. about it, there is something called mastering, which is a separate final product of audio right. production that happens before um like let's say releasing an album or a cd and that's going to be a totally separate audio engineer who is right. dedicate they literally only do that for a living um but in terms of film and tv then there's also the the mixing of the music into the score into the sound of the film and that obviously involves multiple at the dub stage of those sound editors music editors the composer the dialogue all of these things and bear was very involved and uh, i'm under the impression that they really he was super involved with that part of the process and they actually were creating a sound mix without any extra input from the showrunners and producers initially. Like they basically create a first draft of the whole thing and then present it to them. And then they made their comments on it. And my understanding uh -huh. is, is because Bear was so involved, he was able to really make sure that his, I mean, I think everybody wanted his music to be heard, but he was able to fight for it and make sure it was really there to do its job uh, in, in there and you know because so there are scores where you can hear a score and be like oh it's a beautiful score but no one can hear it behind whatever the dialogue right. or behind the sound effects or whatever or the effects yeah yeah is there has there ever been a time that where like you've scored or you uh, orchestrated and you've gotten it it's gone through all most of the process like i love this this is amazing and then the high ups or something changes and you're like we can't use that and you're just like what i love that uh, no there's, there's never been a time <laughs> where someone there... had a last minute revision <laughs> oh, well we're, we're there's never been a time that a score was fully orchestrated or recorded and then thrown out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but look, that's part of that's part of the landscape of of this business and the job and and part of our sort of service and dedication to a client and their vision is we need to be ready if if a if a producer had to come back with some last notes or something like that, we need to be ready to turn those around quickly to still get them ready to to record and 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 that happens once in a while we we cross those bridges when we need to and yeah. take those lumps but then you know once it's on the stands in front of that orchestra and you get to hear it, it in all of its sort of majesty and wonder i mean that's that's when we're really kids in a candy store that's just like the best part of the process for us and as ed said once that part of the process is done our job as orchestrators is essentially over so I, I have another question about orchestrating. Let's say, you know, a bear comes to you and says, okay, we're gonna be uh, in the woods, it's nighttime, it's really quiet. Um, and, you know, I, I want violins. And is that your job then to go, uh, okay, we're gonna have this many violins, you know, this many voices, et cetera, et cetera. How does that work? It varies from client to client, certainly. So with, with bear, that is a conversation we're usually having with him. He knows the orchestra so well, he wants to be involved in that. So we'll have suggestions or discussions and, and all of that back and forth. With some clients, they may say, this is what I'm going for. I totally just, I want you to do whatever you think is gonna be the best approach to that. And then we can adjust on the fly if we need to during the sessions. Uh, but that can vary from client to client. Right. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. I've had such a great time talking to you. I've learned a lot. I've had a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And once again, this is Josh LeCount at Temple of Geek. 
I've been talking this morning with 2D Music Partners, orchestrators for The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, streaming now on Amazon Prime. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Temple of Geek. And remember to visit TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.